welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. As promised, here's number four. And so far, so good. If you're listening to this, then it means it uploaded. So that means I got four podcasts done in one day. And yes, uh, if you listen to these in sequence, the ham is still smoking. The ham that I started on December 15th is still smoking. No. Uh, (laughs) Four episodes with the bumpers recorded one right after the other. So for you all, it seemed like four weeks. For me, it's just been an hour or so. Okay, so today we're doing another revisit, and I wanted to come back and talk with Kyle because of his on-farm processing, what he's got going on there. We, We spoke to him, I think, back in episode 98, 93, back in the 90s, I believe, and Kyle was telling us, uh, how he's getting started with his on-farm processing, and now uh, kind of giving an update there. And I love how he's growing based upon his work. So he's not going headfirst into debt and getting upside down into a bunch of stuff. As he gets the work, and he grows as he can afford to grow. And, man, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But I'll let him tell his story, and we'll catch you guys on the tail end. And today we're doing a revisit. We're going back up to New Hampshire, and we're going to talk with Kyle Peralt of The Ranch and his own farm processing uh, facility called The Body Shop. Welcome, Kyle. What is going on, Troy? Happy to be back. All right, man. Yeah, good to have you back on there. So going back through my notes, it looks like it was almost a year to the date that we recorded. I think we recorded November 10th of 22. And as we're recording this, it's November the 21st, 22, as listeners, it'll be much later when the listeners hear this. But so it's been a year. What has transpired uh, for you in a year? Not much going on up there in the last uh, 12 months? Uh, No. (laughs) So everything has completely changed. Everything's grown. It's insane. I don't know how I'm conscious most of the time, but uh, we made it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for, for those of you listening, if, if you're stumbling across this episode and you haven't listened to every single episode in order, then shame on you. But no, um, <laughs> Kyle was featured in episode 98. Uh, that was uh, published, I believe, last February. So if you want to go back and listen to that, you don't necessarily have to go back and listen to it first. But if you want to know some of the details, we're not going to go back into all the details we covered in the first episode. What we want to do is um, these are those update episodes that I've talked to you guys about where it's it's fun to come back and see what has happened within, uh, you know, I'd like to do at least 12 months. So here we're at the 12 month mark with Kyle. So Kyle, first of all, let's let's talk about let's talk about pigs, because obviously you got the on farm process. And we can talk about that in a, in a bit. But let's talk about pigs. So if you could refresh our listeners as to where you were a year ago with pigs and where you are now. So a year ago, I had I started my first year of pigs with um, nine pigs. I had never raised pigs. The only time I'd ever been around pigs was putting them through the slaughter floor, like at work. Like so, I was we're go, we're getting into it. If we're starting our own process facility, we might as well raise pork because why not? Just makes sense. And that jumped from like two or three pigs for the family and whatever to we had nine pigs between Herefords and Yorkshires last year. Um, and with plans 
for a breeding program after the fact. Hmm. So we processed um, seven of those pigs, some for us, some for friends, family, stuff like that, and kept two of our gilts um, and raised them up a little further and got our hands on a beautiful boar. Um, he was Ospa Mangalitz across. And uh, we started the breeding program I kind of talked about the last time we were here. Um, I drove all the way to Vermont to like, I think I drove about three and a half hours to pick him up. Mm. Um, and we did get a litter from him. So it's been, it was, ex it's exciting. So now we're sitting on 16, 16 pigs at the moment between breeders, feeders, and piglets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. So, so that, um, so that cross is, is help help me remember is that the cross you started with or is that something that that you were looking that was, into? that's what i was looking to do yeah, um I so. again i kind of jumped into pig's head first and was already planning everything ahead i wanted to basically breed a pig um that was heavy production but also did really well in these colder like colder environments up here because it's Again, we're in the 20s already every night. It's tough to grow animals out over a cold winter because half the year you're just feeding and keep weight on them. Um, so we took the Herefords, which are an amazing production breed pig. They're like freaking bulldogs. And um, bred it to the Ospa Mangalitsa cross with the Mangalitsa bringing um, a hairier coat and stuff like that. And the Ospa with the fat quality um, and just... The fact that Osbaz are essentially a feral pig that just just gotten very recently re-domesticated um, and put back into the cycle where it's their uh, immune system is fantastic. They they uh, they transfer food so much better. So I wanted to kind of put that into a more production breed, and the result has been fantastic. Um, we had ten surviving piglets uh, for that litter. She had 14, um, but we also, we lost a couple, uh, two stillborn and I, one just run, but, uh, they're about five months old now and they are absolute tanks. Mm. Like everything we were looking for is perfect. We have the majority of them are built like Herefords. So they have very broad shoulders and hands, but you look at them. And it's like, all right, they've already got about an inch of hair on them. And you can tell, just tell by them. It's like, oh, you're a different fat. Like you have a different fat quality. I mean, I can tell just because I've, I'm a butcher and I've been a butcher for over a decade. So it's like, I can look at that and go, all right, that's a little bit different. So we're so happy with them, but we'll be carrying them over the winter. So this will be our real test to see if this works. So what do you think with, with that combo? What do you think your your finish time is going to be? I'm shooting for it's going to be about nine ten months. Okay, well, that's so not, that's not I bad already with, know, huh? I, that, I mean, that's not bad with with me. It's not awful. Yeah. It's not it's not awful. I I didn't know back in the last episode a good answer to that question because I'm pretty sure you asked me that then, and I was like, I maybe a year. I don't know. Right. But again, I'm looking at him now at five months, and I'm like. Oh, you're going to, you're right on track. Like there's a couple of them that are smaller. Like there's a couple of them that are absolutely awesome. Like I can just look at them and go, you, and it's, 
the way the colorations came out from them is absolutely insane because a lot of them had the Mangalitsa striping when they were born. A lot of them have the Hereford color patterns with like black and brown. We had some that had the Hereford color patterns, which if you do, people don't know, they're a red or a white pig with red spots and they're all fairly uniform on the body. So we had some of those, but they were born, the coloration in them were, was the Mangalitsa tiger stripe and the rest of the pig was white. They were crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the way the genetics work and all the different piglets is pretty crazy. And we did end up keeping a boar out of that group. Okay. So that was the next thing I was so, going to ask you. Are you going to go Gen 3 and, and breed that? Or are you just going to keep keep at this this uh, hybrid level you're at now? Yeah, we're going to go Gen 3. Um, unfortunately, we lost our boar. Hmm. Um, he was an absolute sweetheart. And I am very guilty of the fact that he was pretty chunky, too. Um, the hard part with those Osbos Mangalitsas, they pack on weight like crazy. They're a very feast or famine type of animal. Um, they save their fat for those situations where they're not going to eat for a long time. Um, and it was the middle of summer. I had just built a new paddock. I hadn't established a wallow yet, and he was a big black pig. Mm. There was enough tree cover and stuff like that, but I, it was a combination of um, heat, and I did a necropsy after the facts, and he was very impacted, and it was just not a good situation. I think it was a ch it's a chicken in the egg or chicken before the egg situation of what was what brought him down, but overall they both did. Yeah, all right. So you've got a boar, which would be his his first generation son, right? So it would be yes. So they are the piglets we have right now are half Hereford quarter Osbuck, quarter Mangalitsa. Gotcha. So my plan is to pick up two more Hereford gilts in the spring, raise them up with whatever piglets we get this year, um, and breed them out next year, because at that point our boar will be a year and a half. So hopefully he'll be somewhere close to the point that we can start the program back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he should be... Uh... He should be, be right along. He should be pitching fairly soon, shouldn't he? <laughs> well, he should. Yeah, he, he's probably already warming up in the bullpen. <laughs> or the funniest part is all the ones that are cut, are the ones that are getting after it. And he's just running around looking at them. Oh like, no, kidding. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's about the way it goes. Yeah, crazy. Well, excellent. So that sounds. So is this something with, with that with that ten month grow out? Then, if your ideal situation is to um, what would that be to, to farrow uh, late winter and then carry over or are you thinking that you, you really want to finish out in the spring so you're going to farrow a little bit later in the spring we're going to be finishing out in the spring okay um so again it all got screwed up when the boar passed and like we had to rethink everything because right now i don't have a boar lined up for our sound now i'm trying to figure out what we're doing with that um, if I just want to bite the bullet and try to find a production boar to just have piglets for the spring, um, or go with something like a mangalitsa that we'll be able to kind of keep it together. Um, so again, I would like to try to get a litter usually mid spring and then possibly another one, like going into the winter a little bit to be able to just kind of double that up. Yeah. So we're, cause I think 
the last podcast, all I had was my one and a half acre pasture for the pigs. Yeah. Now I have two math is not my strong suit. Probably have about seven for them now. Oh, wow. Excellent. Between the original paddock, there's a three and a half acre paddock um, behind that now that they've been able, the, our feeders this year um, were able to just tear everything up and go through it. And I am so excited to see how that pasture looks next year. And we've transitioned our beef winter area into a grow out pen for all our piglets. Yeah. Cause you're, you've gotten out of the beef. Uh, we are out of beef yeah. <laughs> at least, at least for a while um, for where we live. It's just tough. Yeah. It's, tough financially to raise a cow for 20 plus months, which is what you have to raise a cow to get the production size in New Hampshire. I think like the 19 month old steer I just put in, he dressed out at just under 600 pounds, which it was absolutely beautiful meat. And we are so happy for it. But again, that was 19 months of, all right, I would have liked a little more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause your 19 months are, are, uh, what is it? I mean, that's you got six months a year of, of no growth on the ground, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 And that's really what it came down to. I'm like, I can't afford pig feed and hay. Yeah. Yeah. That adds I can't. Up. That adds up. Six months. It adds up. And then I looked at just the chore load, like, of going through winter. Because that's, that's the worst part. Like, financial, it is what it is. You can make more money. Putting hay bales in or like putting round bales in in the winter with the tractor where you're just spinning on ice because the tractor's imbalanced like it's yeah and just maintaining maintaining the era you have to have for all the hay it's yeah. not worth it i'm like all right now all of my stuff is right here right at the house i don't have to worry about anything i can just walk to everywhere i need to go the most I'll ever need is to put something in the back of the truck to bring it over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, my goodness, that, that, that goes a long way. And, and obviously I, I can't speak into your winters, but just the, just the issue of, of having to tend an animal that's further away. And you guys of course have to clear a lot of snow, but like you said, the, the situation of the scale of the animal, the bigger the animal is, the bigger its daily intake is. So that round bell that's got to be put out so many days, and then, um, you know, cow drinks what? Uh, what's How many gallons does a cow drink a day or something? Was it? Too much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 50 pounds of manure they create. I couldn't remember how much water. But, yeah. A lot yeah, of, it's, a lot it's, of water. An insane, it's an insane amount. And it's, it's just tough. It really is. It's yeah. just tough. Yeah. And it's – then there's just the frustrating moments of it where it's like the paddock that the, pig, the piglets are in now was the winter cow paddock. It has a nice shelter in there. It's probably two and a half acres, like if not a little bit bigger. Hmm. And over the winter, there would be a line from the shelter to the water to the hay ring. And it was a small triangle. And that was it. Yeah. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, and then last year, what I ended up doing is putting the round, uh, round bale feeder at the very end of the paddock. So I'd be able to actually like get the tractor in with the hay spike to be able to just drop it. Right. Cause yeah. before I was having to push everything in through the barn oh, yeah. and it was like, this is awful. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's just one of those things that all that just comes, 
comes with experience. You know, in your mind, you, you oh, see course. it all laid out, and then then you have that first either really bad winter or that really hot summer or something like that. And it's like, wow, okay, here's where I need to need to adjust, need to make those adjustments in, in what we're doing. And then next year, make sure we're not in the same situation. Like I say the same thing. And in about February, I'm like, I'm going to spend the 10, I'm going to spend $10,000 on gravel because I'm just sick and tired of West Virginia mud. And then, you know, it dries out and you go around here. We go. This isn't that bad. Yeah. Six, seven, eight months. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm a little bit of mud here. That's not that big a deal. And I'll, I'll be doing the same thing this February. I'll be like, same oh, thing. I wish I'd have bought the gravel. Yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But for the moment, we're taking a break. It's, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'll never do it again. Um, but we, there's going to be a lot of infrastructure before that happens. Well, yeah, and I, for and sure. I, and, I, and I like the way you're you're kind of doubling down and, and just just kind of figuring out what you know what the ranch looks like right now. If the ranch looks like it's going to be pigs primarily and you know, something you can handle, and with the on farm processing, you got the you got the business, you got a good breed line, you're you're excited to work with. Then yeah, man, you know, go with what's working for you. Don't you know, don't try exactly around all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so you know, it sounds like you're scaling up, obviously. So, with that, and your on-farm processing, just hit the hit the, real quick. Hit the forty thousand foot elevation of your your on-farm processing and and what you're doing. And a little bit of that background. I, I think if people know, if they went back and listened, they know that you've got that butchering experience, work for USDA, all that type of stuff, and and bringing that on farm. Um, was kind of like a value-added service, not only for yourself, but for friends and family initially. But but that's scaling up too, right? Yeah. So I am uh, in April. It will be two years of me running my uh, custom-exempt slaughter facility on our property. Um, we process beef, pork, lamb, goats, wild game, pretty much anything you bring me. Um, I'll process it and put it in cryovac bags. But this it'll be our second or second full year of it, and um, it's just growing. Like that's the best thing I can say about it. I am booked out until next January and or this January, and I will be probably booked out the next three months after that. And it's growing the way I'd like, but also at the same time at the scale I need to be to still be home. I have two kids under five. And then also running the farm primarily solo. My wife does what she can, mm-hmm. but a lot of it has all come out of my for Jekyll and Hyde brain. So she's like, I don't even want to touch it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so it has been an amazing asset for sure. Um, for again, not just being able to, and again, um, with being a custom exempt process facility, the way the laws work with it is I can only process somebody else's product for them. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to make that work. We're just going to, no one can see the head nod, but right. we made it work. Sure. Um, because, and it's, again, I don't know why I'm being funny about it, but it's the same scenario was buying holes or halves from anybody else. Yeah, I, mean, I just happen to have it on my property. Yeah, it just comes down to a technicality and almost becomes semantics at that point because it absolutely it, becomes if, semantic. If it's, it, the way I explain it is you get two receipts. Yeah, You get a receipt from me for the pig that you bought. Right. And then you get a receipt from me from the processing I did to the pig you bought. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, it's no different than me selling a hole to somebody and saying, okay, you, you've bought this pig. Now I'm going to do you a solid and I'm going to take that pig to 
the local custom exempt processor, exactly. and they're going to process it to your specifications, and you pick it up and pay for it. It is no exactly. different, like you said. You, you just your transport instead of getting them on a trailer and taking them somewhere else. You just over there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> walk them across the yards. <laughs> You want to know the worst part about it, though? It irks me every time I walk out to the shop. So Maine is literally 500 yards this way. And in Maine, they have now changed their cottage industry laws to the point they don't have cottage industry laws. Yeah. So somebody can go who's never been around a pig before, can go buy a pig with no knowledge on how to raise a pig, raise that pig, and then having no knowledge how to process a pig, process that pig, and put it in Ziploc bags in the freezer, and they can sell cuts really? without being USDA. Really? Okay. Yeah. But they can't sell. And that is state. right there. Yeah. It is 500 <laughs> yards down the road, and my shop is about 550 yards yep. from the border. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Now, can they sell across state line? They can't sell over into New Hampshire again. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started about Maine. We were up there in uh, September, and and uh, it's this is a story about Maine's crazy laws, not about processing. But you know, I'm up there, and and uh, in a little town called Damariscotta, and decided, hey, there's there's a neat looking old school, looks like an old school smoke shop, and and you know, I like yeah. I like a good old fashioned tobacco pipe, like you know, like our grandpas used to smoke. Oh, of course. So I go in there, and it was the craziest experience. I walk in, and it's a head shop, and I am by no means you know deadhead or anything like that, but it's a full blown head shop, and I'm like, oh yeah. And the guy comes out, I said, can I help you? I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I I obviously came to the wrong store. I was looking for you know just looking for a tobacco pipe and and that type of stuff. And he's like, oh, he said, I in 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 maine it's illegal to sell any uh flavored tobacco so any mm -hmm. of the aromatics anything like that they can't sell it because it's illegal he said uh so but i can sell you some weed <laughs> it's like it's like well okay it's this so is, insane this is so it's weird but but what was hilarious i probably shouldn't have said the name of the town because but but then the dude tells me he's like now, sometimes I get some aromatics in here. So sometimes, I can, wink, know, wink, yeah, nudge, nudge. At the back door, I can sell you some. And I'm like, what kind of world do I live in where... That you're buying tobacco exactly, illegally. I go to a weed shop to, to, you know, to, to peddle out of the back door aromatic tobaccos. I'm like, what, this world is nuts. But yeah, Maine's got some weird things going on over there. That's for sure. But that's what the cottage industry one is one i'm like i am fully supportive of this i support this 110 percent. just do it here yeah yeah exactly. like what are we doing yeah yeah west virginia they've changed the cottage industry laws um pretty extensively but it, they've yet to uh, to come in to to dairy yeah. and, and meat yet so it's it's still just kind of hanging out on all those non-perishable stuff but yeah I well agree. it's one of those situations i'll talk to people about it and they go oh that's weird and i go no you don't understand that's not weird that is literally life changing <laughs> for my business if we had that law. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's, again, the question of food safety is that really what it's all about? Because I can process up to a thousand chickens on my farm, yeah. um, bag them, cut them into parts, all that stuff, and sell them retail all day long. And when it, co when it comes down to it, it's co the corporations. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it is and will always be exactly down to corporations. It has absolutely nothing to do with um, safety. We, I mean, we have a very, we have very relaxed laws in New Hampshire. Like, they're like, yeah, just don't do this. Yeah. But whatever. I had a buddy in Texas who was trying to open a custom exempt shop. They shut him down immediately. Wow. So then he had to open a educational 
tutor, butcher butcher class where you would hire him to come out to your farm and teach you how to cut up an ant. Like right. it's so convoluted right. and it's like, Oh, if it's done custom exempt, it has to be scun out inside. And it's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You have to skin out this beef inside, which again, that's USDA as well. Right. Right. But it's like a USDA facility is set up for that. They're going into that going, okay, cool. We're going to do this inside to be USDA. If you look at a custom exempt guy and go, yeah, you have to cut that cow that hangs at a thousand pounds in your shop when you're used to doing pigs and like whatever. It's like, what are you talking about? I still do all my stuff off a tractor yeah. because we don't have that infrastructure yet. Sure. Yeah. So and, it's, and it's interesting all over. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's what just blows my mind about somehow when you take something outside and and process it. I mean, that, yeah, Joel Salatin helped fight a lot of this stuff when it came to chicken processing that they wanted to show. Oh, of that course. Your outdoor processing is dirtier than our indoor processing because we're using all these, you know, ammonia and, and bleach and all this heavy stuff. And, and it's like, no, you guys are you guys are creating more potential for things than than us. Of just being course. Outside. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. I, I actually got to meet him like two months ago yeah, at a, cool. a festival in Tennessee. It was pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool to meet him. Yeah, he's cool, dude. I, I've, I've been able to, he, he and a, a friend of mine went to college together. So I've been able oh, to exploit that cool. connection to uh, to talk to him personally before. And yeah, really, really neat guy and and has done a lot for um, for the food industry and, and mm. kind of stuck his neck out several times on some things. Oh, of course. I meant to get into all of those deep conversations with him when I met him, and I was way too busy fangirling out yeah. and not being able to talk. Yeah, that's I am so. Yeah, sure. I am so embarrassed on how I acted in front of Joel Salton. Yeah, full fangirl. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, you know, in 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 our niche, our genre of what we like to do, that that definitely. Oh yeah. Is. Yeah, he's the um, he's the all star of of what we do. So it is. Uh, it is a, a treat to be able to sit and talk with him for sure. Oh, for sure. Good stuff. All right. So, so scaling up your processing, you're still a one man show, right? Yep. Yeah. I do everything bullet to freezer. Yeah. So I'm, I've scaled up as much as I can. And by saying that, I mean, I have somewhat perfected my rhythm and how I do things to the point where it, I can usually get done a beef plus a week by myself, whether that's doing a half a day, doing a whole cow a day, doing a couple of pigs this day, and then just bouncing stuff around. My schedule is all over the place. I don't even know what a schedule is anymore right? just because of how we have it all set up. But um, yeah, we're busting it out. Yeah. Like I've had a crazy year that's of work, which has been super fun. Yeah. And getting those connections and everything like that. Um, I had somebody come up the other day we were standing in the driveway and there were just every third car, the horn hawked and waved or whatever. And they're like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> I am the butcher in town. Right. I am the celebrity, like in a small, in a town of 1200 people, people know who I am yeah. now, which is crazy. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, I mean, and I think, there's there's a lot of wisdom to to what you're talking about, and that's understanding your your, your limitations as a one man show, and and not right. 
overpromise and undelivery. I mean, that's a mistake a lot of small businesses and startup businesses do. They just say, "Well, I can't." It's, turn mista- it's mistakes I made. Yeah, I absolutely, I am absolutely guilty of it, yeah. and that's why that's why I'm doing my best not to. Yeah, I say that I have five pigs coming in on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm talking all high high and mighty on this podcast, but I haven't learned anything. <laughs> Well, you know, that's what they say. Yeah. How, how do you eat a 900-pound elephant? Yeah, one bite at a time. One bite at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to um, – do you put all those down at the same time and hang them and then just uh, just as they're hanging, just work one at a time on them? How do you yeah, I, um, I go th- – usually I'll try to get someone to help on pig days like that, like just because they're pigs. Like I have a pretty good setup now with a squeeze gate and that kind of thing to do pigs very easily. But it's still easier with two people. And I always hate having people come help because I literally like you may be here for five hours while I slaughter these five pigs. I can promise you, you will not work more than 15 minutes Yeah, like that. Like, I don't need your help to do this. I need your help to do it. Like, if that makes sense, like, I don't need your help in the actual processing part. I need you to hold this book. Right. I need you to hold this rope so I don't have to get back down off the tractor. Exactly. Like I need that extra inch of somebody pushing on the hook to get it up over the the bar on the cooler. So I always feel awful asking people to help, but they're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I usually try to pull the people who haven't helped me before. Cause they don't, they realize, don't realize how much it sucks. <laughs> but um, yeah. So we're going to keep it a one man show for a bit just because, Good luck hiring anybody. Yeah. And honestly, I can't really afford it at the moment anyway. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, don't get me started. Our, our USDA processor, brand new one that a year ago was just top notch, is I'm starting to see the chinks in the armor because mm-hmm. they just can't keep people on payroll. So, well, it's, I always say that, I always say it's insanely hard. Like, because I always look at the person and I turn the mirror back on myself. I'm like, we're cold constantly, we're covered in blood on my line on my side of it where it's i'm going to people's farms and like essentially like not essentially sometimes wrestling their animals Mm -hmm. like it's not a super fun job yeah like unless you're like a little nuts in the head like i am like that you enjoy it and which i do i will never do anything else in my life because i'm a crazy person (laughs) and i just love this life (laughs) but to talk somebody cold like walking up to someone like in a job fair setting and be like do i have the job for you exactly yeah it's not <laughs> it's non-existent like yeah. people people and when people hear about it they go that's gonna be so freaking cool i can't wait to do that and then they realize how cold they can get then they realize like the limitations to their strength like just all the work that goes into it you're not going to be doing like you're not going to be cutting on a hanging beef in a shop depending on the shop for like six months, like you're going to be trimming, you're going to be doing stew. Right. You're going to be cryovacking. Yeah. Like it might be two months before you get your hand on a knife. Right. But right. that's the hard part about it is I don't need a cutter. I'm fine. I need someone on that cryovac machine. So I don't have to spend another three hours after the fact packaging everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can imagine there's, you know, there's a, there's a finite amount of unskilled labor that you can have in your setup. Wow. And then that, that unskilled labor, like I said, would be extremely repetitive. 
yeah, like I said, just tying off bags, sealing bags, doing That's that it. type of stuff, keeping stuff out of the way, keeping stuff clean while you get down and, and, and do the work from, from point A to point B. And, and that requires all the skill, knowing how to cut. Yeah, I mean, goodness. The, this the small that's, amount of butchering that, I've done. That's why I'm raising. That's why I'm yeah. raising employees. Yeah, I've yeah. had my daughter out there for almost every deer we've got in this year. She's got her little butter knife and she sits there. I looked at her this year, and I'm filling out the cut sheet with the customer. The deer's laying on the cradle with its arms out like this, and how I cut off deer legs is I hit the joint with the knife, and then I just snap it over my knee yeah. and then finish the cut. Yeah, easiest way to do it. It just is. She's watched me do so many deer that I look over and she's not tall enough to get her knee to the leg, obviously. So she has her knee up in the Captain Morgan position, just with both hands slamming. It was, and again, the right, it was the joint. She was nailing it right on the joint. But yeah. She was sitting there and just slamming it against her leg. And I could just see in her face, just not being able to understand, like, I don't get it. I'm supposed to hit this off my leg and it's supposed to snap off like a toothpick. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> so good. they, but both my girls have been on kill, kill floor since they were three weeks old. Yeah. So none of this is, this is all just secondhand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this will be in their blood for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, cool. Um, I, I do want to ask you one more question about uh, processing and we'll move on a little bit. So, of course. So with, with expansion staying, you know, okay, keep your customer load the, the way you expect it, obviously one-man team, but what is that one piece of equipment or infrastructure improvement you'd like to make? If you could wave that wand, what, 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 what would you add tomorrow if Santa Claus brought you something that you wanted? A lean-to over my slaughter floor. So we have we did get a slaughter floor installed. It's a 20 by, I think it's 20 by 20, 20 by 20 concrete slab with a, or with a drain to a drywall. And it is, I can't even explain how much it has changed my life <laughs> to have that done and to have the surrounding area leveled off. Like I have like a driveway back there now where I'm able to turn around the tractor that's level, that's not mud. Yeah. It's changed my absolute life, but it's still completely open. I'm still doing everything off the bucket of the tractor, which gets dicey. Um, so yeah, the lean to would be my number one yeah. to get that in. I'd love to get it in next spring. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to get it in before next, um, hunting season because yeah. right now I'm doing all my deer off the winch in the, in the shop and that sucks because deer hair is just Velcro and it just sticks on everything. <laughs> and yeah, so that would absolutely be my number one to get that set up to have a nice spot because again it's all open so if i have a slaughter on a day it's pouring rain guess what yeah. i'm slaughtering in the pouring rain yeah. there's no way about it like this cow's not going to go anywhere it's got to be done right so I've, I've had a couple real wet days where i've just come in and my wife's looked at me like I'm not even going to talk to you. Go take a shower because <laughs> I'm just soaked and covered in blood. It looks like a horror movie. Right, right. Yeah, I, my goodness. Yeah, little infrastructure things like that can go a long way and, and really make you appreciate um, you know, the work that you put into it. But yeah, it sounds to me like oh, you're, and, you're probably doing your own infrastructure improvements as well. Yeah, we're doing all. I mean, uh, between me doing a lot of it and my neighbors yeah. um, who own a 
construction and concrete company. They're, they're amazing. They're the best neighbors anyone could ever ask for. They've poured the slab and did all the dirt work and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's us and we're paying as we go trying to get everything figured out. And, uh, again, it pays for itself. It pays for itself very quickly. Oh, yeah. But it still needs to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you have that 50 degree day and rainy, you, you're going to be like, man, I, I really love this lean to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I can't wait. I can't. And, but not even just the rainy days. When it's 95 degrees out in the summer on a dark concrete pad, mm. slaughtering a cow, that gets rough. <laughs> That gets real rough, yeah, especially on the second cow of that day. <laughs> right, for sure. Oh, my, well, good, man. I'm anxious to hear how that uh, comes along next year as you uh, expand uh, some of your infrastructure there and make things hopefully a little easier for you. Well, no, for sure. Well, let me ask you this, because you've also, um, in this last year or so, you, you kind of stuck your toe into some social media, kind of telling your story as to what you've got going on here. Cause I, I think what you have is, is very unique. And I think that a lot of people would benefit from uh, hearing and seeing what you got. So, so tell me what you're doing online now. Uh, so because I didn't have enough between the farm, the shop, <laughs> the two kids under five, uh, I also started a YouTube channel, a podcast and a TikTok account all right around the same time. Excellent. And thankfully I got in with a good group of people who already had established podcasts and they've talked to me through a lot. And because of that, I have, what do I have right now? I think I started about seven, eight months ago. I have over 500 subscribers on YouTube from all of my farm and butchering content. Um, my podcast gets about, it's again, it's so new. I, we just did our 30th episode. We get like, between like 40 and 60 downloads on some of them. I'm like, yep. that's pretty great. Yep. Yep. Um, and then TikTok, we're very quickly approaching 1,200 uh, subscribers on that. And that's only been like two and a half months of doing that. Yeah, TikTok is definitely, I, I can't imagine there's a lot of people doing what you're doing on TikTok. So that's no, 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 sticking no. your toe into And I walk. And I walk the line, sir. Oh boy, TikTok <laughs> wants to ban me oh, for bet. sure. I bet. Yeah. So, so what kind of stuff are you doing on your podcast and on your YouTube channel? Is it uh, day in the life of? Is it specific stuff? Are you are you having guests on your podcast? So on the podcast, um, which you were very nice to come on, and I appreciate that. On yeah, um, one of my very early episodes, <laughs> I think you were like eleven. Oh, okay. So. I appreciate that. Um, no, uh, it's a kind of farming butchering podcast where I bring on either producers, farmers, homesteaders, butchers. Um, essentially, if you grow something to eat it or process something to eat, we'll have you on and just kind of talk about what you got going on. Like talk about um, what you're raising, why you're raising it, the history of that you've had with it. Um, and when I have butchers on, we, that one turns into a therapy. Those ones usually turn into a therapy session <laughs> right, pretty quick because exactly. it's just, it's just all the like stuff that nobody else understands. But yeah. when you get three butchers on a podcast, we're just yelling and screaming about things that nobody gets, right. but people love those episodes. Cause it's like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know that was a thing, Yeah, That's great. but we've been having fun with it. Um, like I said, we just had our 30th episode and we're just going to keep it rolling. 
Yeah, awesome. What's, and what's the name of the kind of turn it into something that hopefully turns into a pretty decent thing. Yeah, yeah. So what what's the name of the podcast? Uh, the podcast is called Meet the Critters, M-E-A-T. <laughs> um, it's taken many evolutions yeah. in this 30 episodes, but I think we're sticking with what we got right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm going to post a link down in the uh, show notes. You guys can check that out. Uh, I assume you're on all the uh, all the, yeah, all the we're on. We, yeah. we go live on YouTube um, every Saturday, 8 Eastern Standard Time. Um, and then, yeah, we're on spotify apple google um we're also on fountain so we're on we're on everything you can find podcasts on which is insane yeah yeah <laughs> so so what are you doing on youtube and, and what how are you dancing around that when it comes to animal slaughter and all all that type of stuff youtube has also been interesting um <laughs> uh, again there's been many evolutions um where we kind of are right now um we're getting out at least one to two videos a week. Um, and it's spread out between butchering tutorials, breakdowns, um, slaughters off the hook, like off the hook breakdowns of beef, pork, lamb, venison, black bear. Like if it comes through my shop more than likely it will be on film and I'll tell, and I'll tell you how to cut it up. Yeah. Um, it's very long form content. I, I think my shortest YouTube video is about, maybe 12 minutes the longest being like an hour or two yeah because i'm fairly thorough with what i'm talking about um a bunch of my buddies who again have got me they were the ones who finally like gave me the final push to get going and then all of a sudden i started putting out content and they're like dude why were you ever worried about anything like <laughs> screw you you're blowing past us on some of this stuff um but we're having fun with it. And then along with, um, I filmed my entire um, pasture project this year. I try to do every major project I do on the farm. We try to get it on film and talk about why I'm doing it, why I'm doing it this way, how I'm doing it, tips, tricks, stuff like that, that I've learned over time. And again, I start every one with, or at some point in those big videos where it's like, all right, here's a lot of information packed into this video in the middle of it, I'll usually go, by the way, I'm not telling you this is the exact way to do this. I'm telling you this is why I'm doing this and for my personal reason. Yeah. Don't go in the comments and go, you're an idiot for doing it this way. You can if you want. I don't care. Like, But this is how I came to this conclusion. This is why I think it's going to work. If it doesn't work, come back in six months. More than likely, <laughs> I'll show you it didn't work. Like, yeah, Be, being transparent on that, that, I think that's huge. That goes goes a long way, and, and people can see that uh, genuine approach to to what you're doing. So, good deal. Yeah. And what's the I was joking I was joking around with someone about it, and I think a lot of it came from the need to talk. I'm a very like chatty person. I'll talk to anybody about anything. <laughs> and being a butcher for being in the meat industry for 13 years. I am so used to just standing in one spot, staring at a white bench and a piece of meat, talking to somebody over here or over here for nine hours a day. Because yeah. that's what you do, right. is you just stand, cut, and talk. To now being alone in my own shop, talking to nobody. Like my, actually, I'll, we'll grab this right now. My bosses, all my coworkers, when I left the USDA facility, gave me a Wilson. 
<laughs> nobody can see nobody can see this right. on the audio, but yeah. they made put a handprint on a volleyball and they all signed it. Congratulations and everything. But they're like, now you have somebody to talk to in the shop. That's hilarious. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very good. Well, that's cool, man. That's great. Well, so um, I want to be uh, sensitive to your time and, and we're getting close to hitting that mark. Yep. But um, so so what is what is next other than surviving this winter with without a um, without a uh, lean to over the kill floor and and some of the other things? Uh, what do you think's next? Uh, if, if I'd come back to you next November and have a conversation again, what do you hope to see done or accomplished or any changes there? So farm wise. We're going to be definitely investing in some bulk feed storage for sure. We're not there yet, but we need to be like we're at that stage. Um, so that's going to be our number one. And then just getting the breeding program back on track, like get um, get our board where he needs to be, raise a couple of gilts for him, and we'll just see where it goes. Um, I'm not building any infrastructure next year, maybe a pen, like a small pen for just extra storage or something like uh, i need to put the bore somewhere but um i don't plan on doing much infrastructure if any next year just kind of coasting mm -hmm. like we've we've been investing and building for the past three years three four years and i need a minute <laughs> kind of <laughs> to kind of just all right let's get everything back to even for a little bit and then we'll grow a little more once we get there <laughs> i hear you yeah for sure good deal good deal well, no. Kyle, um, I know we talked about your YouTube channel and your podcast. Uh, do you have any other social media that we can tell people about before I let you go? Uh, I am at Backwoods Butcher 603 on everything. So Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube. Uh, we do have a fountain account, but or not fountain, uh, Rumble account, but none of my videos is synced yet because it takes like yeah. four months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's pretty much where you can find all me. I'm doing my best to get better at Instagram, but that is a, that's a tough hill to climb. Yeah. Um, and yeah, probably the most active I'm on is TikTok and YouTube. Cool. Just if you like dark humor and butchering content, <laughs> get over there. There you go. Good deal. Well, man, it was a, it was a pleasure talking with you and, and glad you had the opportunity to sit down and talk with me and, and look forward to talking to you again in the future. Absolutely. Can't wait. All right, man. I pray you have a good week. Well, I really appreciate Kyle coming on the podcast and man, talk about a resource for processing. I think uh, checking out his um, online stuff, he's going to be a continued resource for uh, the details of processing. Uh, I'm sure he's open to questions and all that type of stuff. We'll see how those social media channels play ball with him. <laughs> best of, uh, wish him the best of luck when it comes to that. All right, so this is the end of our box set. Uh, again, we, we need people in the queue, so reach out to me. Send me a note, Troy at RedToolhouse.com, and we'll get a new batch going. All right, I pray you all have a great new year. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit RedToolhouse.com. 